are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Uh, it's, it's been such a joy. Have you guys been learning a lot and experiencing a lot through our series on James? I, I certainly have, and it's been a tremendous joy of mine to be able to impart and share the Word of God to you guys and, and what the Lord has been saying to my heart during these um, times of uh, Sunday service and, of course, in my own personal and private preparation for these sermons. But, um, you know, Jesus, he was and is the greatest storyteller to have ever existed. I mean, he's someone who could really just captivate anyone. He, he, could, he, could, he could share and talk about something, and, and you're just all ears. You're just hearing. And his stories, or more appropriately named uh, parables, are the most well-known and often repeated stories on the face of the earth. I mean, you've heard of, you don't have to be a believer or even have read the Bible to know stories like the Good Samaritan, right? Or the prodigal son. Or the young rich ruler who couldn't or, I should say, wouldn't give up his wealth. Or even the rich man and Lazarus, to just name a few. Well, there's another parable that many of you guys, if not most of you all, have heard of. And that's the parable of the sower and the seed. And this is probably the greatest and most elaborate parable to have ever been told. Some people also refer to the parable of the four soils. So this is just how it goes, okay? So there's a planter, a farmer, whatever you want to call it, a sower, who went out to go sow. And some of the seed, as he scattered, fell on the hardened path and was quickly snatched away by the birds. Some of the seed fell on rocky soil, and it sprang up, but because it had no substantial place for its root to set, it died when the sun got hot. Some other seeds fell among the thorns, but as it began growing, it got choked out before it was able to even bear, fruit, bear any fruit. And lastly, there was some seed that fell on good ground, good soil, fertile soil, and it bore fruit, 30, 60, 100-fold. Now, I'm not trying to call Pastor Josh out because I've used this sometimes too, but I, I want to clarify what that statement means, 30, 60, 100-fold. It doesn't mean 30 times more. It doesn't mean 60 times more. I, I prayed that. I said, Lord, bless me 30, 60, 100 times more. And God's probably thinking, dude, first of all, you're reading out of context and you're being selfish right now. But it doesn't mean 30 times more, 60 times more, 100 times more. In fact, 100-fold means producing at its fullest potential. That's what it means. So 30-fold means producing, producing, but nowhere near its full uh, potential. So what does that mean then? It means that when God says something to you, whether through Scripture or through his word, speaking and stirring in your hearts. And when God says something to you and you believe it, some people may believe it, some people will believe it, and you may kind of partially live it out in faith. And while there's others who will obediently, without question, and in complete faith and trust, live out the word of God, these are the hundredfold types. Okay? So 30, 60, 100, yes, should we be praying that for ourselves? Absolutely. To be not just 30 or 60, but a hundredfold people. You get that? To be people who will just live out the word of God. Amen? That's what we want. And it doesn't hurt to get some blessings too on the way. So back to the passage. The parable I just mentioned is about the word of God is received, how it's received. Jesus, now he does a beautiful interpretation for us. And he tells us that the seed is the word of God. And that the different soils describe the different ways it's received by people like you and me, the hearers. And the reason why I remind you all of that parable is because of our text for today. And it's the fact that James here, he shares that same exact subject. 
Now, this passage here isn't a, a parable, right, what we just read, but it definitely speaks out about how God's word is received and what will produce the fruit God desires. In fact, James even uses similar language to the parable of the sowers and that the word of God, guess what, must be planted inside you. Right now, as you are sitting here on this Sunday afternoon, beautiful, really hot day outside, but you're here, the word of God is being planted inside you. But here's the thing. For many of us, we want to just end right there, but it cannot end right there. There must be more. Do you get that? So right now, the seeds are being planted inside you. So look to your neighbor and say this, let the word of God plant itself inside you. You don't really say that often in this day and age, right? Let the word of God be planted inside you. Now, here's the thing. This is our first point. God is trying to get our attention. Now, say that to your neighbor. God is trying to get your attention. Now, I remember long ago, a few years ago, I got my mail, and as I was sorting it out, I saw this one envelope, and on the return address space of the envelope, it said, IRS. Naturally, if you're anything like me, even if you've done nothing wrong, and you paid your taxes, you get a little antsy. It's kind of like driving next to a police officer, right? You're not speeding, you're not breaking any law, but the mere presence of the police officer is enough to send you through a series of nervous breakdowns and palpitations. You, you start checking your inspection sticker, your emission sticker. Your eyes are glued to the speedometer, making sure you're not even going one over or one less. You begin to even evaluate your past life decisions. And just a flood of emotions and thoughts rush in. Well, when I got that IRS envelope, I began thinking, oh my gosh, is it for tax evasion? Did I evade taxes, paying my tax? Did I embezzle money somehow? Do I even have offshore accounts in Cayman Islands? So I put all the other mail aside, and I had that one thing, and I was genuinely worried. And I said, my dad was a, my dad was a former accountant. He'll get so mad at me. <laughs> so I got that envelope, and I gingerly just kind of tore it to the side. I opened it. And then I looked inside and I pulled what I thought was a letter from the IRS. And what came out was a realtor advertising his services. And IRS was his initials. <laughs> Look, I know as a pastor and as a Christian, it is not good to hate. <laughs> but man, did I hate this person. And after a moment, I realized... Well done. Well done, Mr. IRS. I forget the guy's name, but well done. This guy, he certainly, through his clever ways, got my attention. Now, this realtor, this is, this is what's cool. He, he knew that in order to communicate his message or his service, we first have to be willing to listen to it, right? And God, he says the same thing here in verse 19. He says, know this, or listen up, or listen to me. Another translation says, take note of this. God, he's wanting our attention, people. And let me say this. God will do anything to get our attention. He will do anything. And sometimes, and I pray for all of us, that he gets our attention when we simply read words like this verse. Just when God says, hear me out. But many times, God has to resort to other means to get our attention. Sometimes it means the loss of a job. 
do I have your attention now? Sometimes it means a broken relationship or a broken marriage, and God is saying, do I have your attention now? Sometimes he gets our attention through physical pain, illnesses, disease, whatever you want to call it. Maybe a loved one passing. He's saying, do I have your attention now? You know, there was a family member of mine who refused. She, she grew up in the Christian household. The whole family did. And, but she was just being so stubborn and, and was not wanting to come back to church, was not wanting to come back to the Lord, and was living a, a, truly a prodigal life, a reckless life. And so my mother, she, she actually fasted for a week, and she prayed for a week that the Lord would, and this is what she said, wake that family up. Wake them up. Wake her up. And so a couple days after the time of prayer and fasting ended, this relative, cousin of mine actually, got into a massive car accident. Massive car accident. Car totally crushed, and yet, miraculously, she came out without a scratch on her body. Rattled to the core, I'm sure, but physically totally unharmed. The Lord woke her up. The Lord woke them up. She and her family began recommitting themselves to God from that moment. And I think we sometimes fail to understand the heart of our Father God and what He's willing to do to bring people, namely His children, back to Him. God, He is wanting our attention. Don't let it get to the point where He has to do something drastic. You get what I'm saying here? Like an accident or taking away your career or your health to bring you back to Him. Right now, God, He's telling us in the clearest and easiest way, Listen to me now, he's saying, as you're hearing him. Listen to me now. Do I have your attention now? Don't make me do something drastic to get your attention. Listen to me now. Hear me out right now. And so I ask you, brothers and sisters, friends, how is God trying to get your attention right now? Who has he placed in your life to get your attention? What is he doing in your life right now to get your attention? Do you feel that your life is being stirred? Is there something going on? Is there a restlessness in your life right now? Are you anxious? Is there a feeling of emptiness? Are you pursuing something? Do you feel like you're seeking after something, but you feel aimless, directionless? How is God speaking to, speaking to you right now? If you are a child of God, like any good parent, he will not stop until he gets your attention. He will not stop. He will relentlessly pursue after you, even if that means at the expense of your health or your relationship or your finances, whatever it is, to the point where we're all the way at the bottom of the barrel and the only way that we can look is up. He will get your attention somehow. And brothers and sisters, that's a good thing. That is his grace. He loves you so much. He will not give up on you. Are you listening to God? Does he have your ear but more than some dramatic life-altering accident, James here says, does the Word of God get your undivided attention? Does the Word of God get your undivided attention? But more than just being, able to, being available to hear, I think an important question to ask is this, how do you hear? In other words, it's the attitude of how we hear from God. When we hear the Word of God, there needs to be attentiveness a readiness to listen, mouths shut and ears open. Have, has your parent, have your parents ever said this, or perhaps you even said this, to people who talk too much? You say, the Lord gave you two ears and one mouth. Listen twice as much. 
That's what, that's what we're supposed to do here. Mouth shut and ears open. Our hearts should be humble and ready to accept the words of God planted in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the attitude that we should be having right now as you're hearing this message even. As you're hearing the word of God being spoken, you got to hear it out with humility and openness. And yes, guys, it is a real discipline. But we have to be intentional about doing away with this daydreaming. I wonder if I could look inside your brains right now, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about, man, I would love a steak for dinner. Or some of you guys are thinking, oh, I can't wait to go hang out with my friend afterwards. And some of you guys are thinking, why won't Pastor David stop with these illustrations? Right? You are hearing the word of God, and we must actively listen with our hearts and minds engaged, receiving and weighing and meditating on what God has to say to us this afternoon. And that's the same attitude we should have when we open our Bibles every single day. When we read the word of God, we should be asking God to speak to us and to teach us his truth. And we must pray against distraction and pray for love and acceptance of his truth. But let me ask you an even more important than that, question than that. Why should we even listen to God? Because the words of God is alive. That's why you should listen to it. Because the word of God will save your life. That is why you should listen to it. Because the word of God will steer you away from chaos and towards him. That is why you should hear and listen to the words of God. I'm not here to lecture you all on some dull, dry, death theology that only boring old scholars enjoy reading. No, this is the living, powerful, life-giving, life-changing word of God. The Bible is a tool which the Spirit of God uses to turn our lives around, change us, and save us from God's eternal judgment so that through Christ, who is expressed throughout the Bible, that we might enter into an eternal glory with the Father. That is what happens when you listen to the Word of God. The Word of God is God-breathed, and the Word of God is the power of God unto salvation. There are two ways in which you can read the Bible, people. One is this. You can read it informatively, or you can read it transformatively. Without seeking the Holy Spirit to carry the transforming truth of the Word into our lives, the Bible will just end up being a textbook to you all, black and white. Just something to learn. No different from your book, bio, biological book or your book on American history or whatever. It'll be highly informative, sure, but dead. Not life-changing. Empty and shallow. The Word of God must be read through the lens of God. And it must be read through the Holy Spirit. And people, just because you complete the year-long Bible reading challenge doesn't mean that you know God all the more. A person who studied one book of the Bible for that year but, but doesn't just hear the Word of God but obeys the Word of God is much closer to the Father's heart than a person who's read and perhaps even memorized the book from Genesis to Revelation but does not trust in the Word of the Lord. Listen to God. He wants our attention. That's our first point. Our second point is this, that we must guard our hearts. Turn to your neighbor and say this, guard your heart. Now say this, even against me. <laughs> it's a bit ominous, right? Now here's the thing. The beginning and the end of the sermon's text was our need to listen up to God. We need to listen to God. But see, sandwiched between that first and the last part of this passage here are these middle truths. And that middle truth is really asking us to guard our hearts. 
Now, it's weird why it's kind of broken down that way, but I'll explain a little bit. In verse 20, we read in the first half, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Then in the first half of the second sentence, it says that therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And why is it broken down that? Why do we have listen to God and then, and then guard your hearts from anger, guard your hearts from wickedness and all this stuff, and then listen to God again? Well, simply because James, he used this poetic device called chiasm. It's a, it's a Hebrew, it's a, it's a way that many of our Hebrew literature is written. So it has that kind of main point and then little other points, subpoints, and then the main point again. Okay? Now these two verses, or at least the sections of these verses, sound so different from what the main point of what James is trying to get across, but it's not. Because the anger that does not produce righteousness from verse 20 and then the filthiness and wickedness from verse 21 are listed as the alternatives to having a heart that is open to God's words. In other words, I sum up this way. Having a heart that's angry and having a heart that's filled with wickedness and filth are things that can and will stop and block our ears from hearing the word of God. Does that make sense? If you are angry and if you immerse yourself in the things of the world, it will stop you. It will block you. It will hinder you. It will distract you from hearing the words of God. That's simple. James gets highly practical here. He says we have to guard our hearts against anger. Now, here's the thing. We've all been there, I'm sure. You've been so angry that no matter what anyone says or does makes any impact on you. I have counseled many angry people in the midst of their anger. They have spoken to me. I said, let's talk. And, and they're not mad at me, but they're mad at the situation and circumstances. So they come sit down. They're huffing and they're puffing. And in the midst of their anger, they're just going out, venting. You know, I'm like, keep going. Yes. And he, they keep going. And all of a sudden, I'm just listening, listening. They're fuming. They're so mad. And all of a sudden, they look at me. They go, Pastor David, don't you have anything to say? Don't you have some miraculous verse to throw my way? And I'm like, Pastor David, say something. They're so mad. They're, even they're yelling at me. They're projecting their anger on me. And I'm like, well, you're too angry. You probably wouldn't even listen to me anyways. And oftentimes, like, this gets them even more angry. But what does anger do? Anger is blinding. It is deafening. It's cancerous, and it turns us against the word of God. As long as you have anger and as much as you love God's word, when the moment something triggers your pain or whatever comes on, you will allow anger to always have an upper hand on God. So when it comes to God's instructions, forget about it. If anger is something that's still swarming inside you, the word of God cannot be heard and so cannot be lived out. Anger must be killed in your life. Amen? It must be squashed. But more often than not, it's not just blind rage, like when I mean, you stub a toe and you go, ah, oh, beep, beep, beep. No. It's not just blind rage that a lot of people deal with. Rather, it's defensive anger that a lot of people deal with. This type of person hates being confronted with truth. This person gets mad with whomever was faithful enough to speak the truth to them. If you truly have an anger issue, counseling and talking through is always beneficial, but the best Remedy is going to the great counsel of the Holy Spirit. Don't you agree? You must have repeated daily sessions with the Holy Spirit. 
daily repentance, daily outpouring of the heart, daily digestion of the counsel through the word of God. You'll need accountability. You need to ask for a lot of prayer from those around you. And even if that means revealing your sin and struggle to others, then so be it. Better to expose your own sin for the sake of accountability and spiritual growth than have your sin exposed during a moment of weakness. For others who get defensive anger, you know what that is? That's an indication of an unteachable spirit. God will call you elsewhere in Scripture stiff-necked or rebellious, no matter how much you say you love God and His people. While a person who gets more circumstantially angry is at least open to healing, communication, because they know they can't keep going on with that, the person who gets angry when confronted with truth is someone who typically hates authority. They hate accountability. They hate surrendering. They like to do things their own way. And as much as they try to justify their behavior, they'll always end up shooting themselves in the foot because this kind of person, this kind of anger is always working against God's plan. Turn to the neighbor and say this. we got to get rid of anger. I remember a time when I was an undergrad and I was driving out to my school. And I'm, I'm, I'm typically a calm person. I really don't go crazy or anything like that. And, um, but, you know, traffic is, all, man, man, is traffic an Achilles heel, right? And I was listening, actually, to a professor of mine giving a sermon on, on the... Uh, on CD. So I was just listening, I was hearing the word of God being spoken to me as I was driving during my like 40-minute commute. And all of a sudden, someone cut me and almost clipped my, my front. And then I go, okay, accidents happen. If this person would just wave their hand in the back saying, I'm sorry, how many times would that just soothe you? You'd be like, ah, it's okay. <laughs> right? But you know what the person actually did? It was a kid. And it's totally unfounded. After he nearly clips me, and I could have very well crashed in my death. He cuts me, drives, and he sure enough sticks his hand up. But he waves a little something else. He gives me a little middle finger. I'm like, oh, do people do that? <laughs> I was so angry. I was like, you try to kill me. And then you add insult to injury by unnecessarily giving me the bird. And I was hearing the word of God being spoken at the time, and I was just so mad. I said, Lord, bring him down. <laughs> and I just thought all these, I never thought I could be a murderer. And I did, did I? I had all these murders. I, I had, I planned this elaborate scheme of how I would get away with it. The whole time, again, the word of God is being echoed in the background. Did I hear anything? Absolutely not. Now, granted, it's a, more of a humorous il illustration, but it illustrates a, a bigger point in this, in that, yes, guys, do not underestimate the anger, whatever, however small you may think it is in your life. It will grow if you allow it to grow. It will take over and claim your heart and your life to the point where it will infiltrate every aspect of your life. And most dangerously, as the Word says, it will block you from hearing the truth of God. James is saying that. He's saying, don't let anger do that, because anger will do that. The second one is this. Another way in which we have to guard our hearts is against the rampant wickedness or massive filth, as another translation puts it. Here's the truth. God frees man, but the world binds man. 
God revives man, but the world kills man. The world corrupts man. More and more these days, just by turning on the TV or reading any news outlet or going on any website for that matter, it seems that there's increasingly there are no barriers in our society between things that are good and things that are moral filth. And God, he calls us here to guard our hearts against filth, against wickedness, against evil, because according to God's word, as wickedness runs rampant and prevails, it begins to do something in our lives, whether you know it or not. It begins to suppress that truth that was reigning once in your life. It begins pushing it down to the point where truth will no longer be there. And where sin and evilness and wickedness and compromise, whatever you want to call it, starts taking over your life. Now the difficulty in this is that our hearts, they all tend to lean towards the things of the world than the things of God because of our sin nature. And if you guys don't believe that, simply ask yourself, is it easier for me to hate or to love, to cheat or to live with integrity, to be lazy or diligent? I think we all know the answer to that. It's easier to do the things not of God than to do the things of God. And there was this interesting article I read from a climbing article. Again, I have this weird bucket list I know I'll never do, and I'm fine with it. And one of it is to climb Mount Everest. <laughs> Why are you guys laughing? It's one thing for me to like, uh, whatever. So this article, it was talking about just a high altitude and the things that happened there. There's something called oxygen starvation or hypoxia. Whenever you go above 10,000 feet, whether you're climbing or in a plane, you need supplemental oxygen. Now, one type of oxygen starvation usually comes from the form of carbon monoxide poisoning. And of course, carbon monoxide is a byproduct of the combustion of any kind of hydrocarbons. <laughs> I've Wikipedia that. I have no idea what that means. But here's what's important. It's interesting why carbon monoxide is such a threat. And hear me out. Because when carbon monoxide goes into your lungs, it then goes into your bloodstream, and it's grabbed up by the hemoglobins in your red blood cells, which is the very thing that's supposed to carry oxygen into your blood. But here's the problem, guys. That hemoglobin that's supposed to pick up and attract the oxygen, the hemoglobin has a hundred times greater attraction to carbon monoxide than it does the oxygen that we need. So therefore, wherever you are, if there's carbon monoxide up in the air, your body will latch onto it and ignore the life-saving, life-giving oxygen, and then you'll become hypoxic and eventually die. Now here's the thing, people. That is how our flesh responds to the moral filth that's all around us. Don't think that you're just immune from it. Don't start parading saying, oh, God says to be in the world and not of the world. I'm safe. I can go ahead and, and party hard. I can do whatever I want, and I'll be completely immune from all the pain and suffering and struggles of the world. I am immune. I'm exempt from all that. No, 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 no. You see, our flesh, it responds to moral filth like the way hemoglobins respond to carbon monoxide. You can go ahead, go ahead and have all the Bible knowledge that you want. You can even have the Bible in your hand and walk around 24-7 with it. You have the Bible on your tablets and on your phones, and you know you want to read it. You know, you know you want to digest it and study and love the amazing truth of God. But the fact is our sinful hearts grab onto wickedness a hundred times faster. And so we become quickly detached from God's precious word. Do not underestimate the power of sin. 
Do not underestimate the power of the sinful atmosphere and environment in which we live in. Do not underestimate and think that I can go ahead and pull my, my unbelieving friends up. No problem. No. You know what? It's a lot easier pulling people down, isn't it? Do not underestimate that. That's why God is saying, guard your heart against anger, but guard your heart against rampant wickedness that pervades our culture. We as people, as children of God, must pursue righteousness. Amen? Pursue things that are holy and pleasing to God. And perhaps right now, maybe you are struggling, and the reason why you don't know God or know him as well is because we've grown numb to him. In Matthew 5, the Beatitudes speak about pursuing righteousness, pursuing holiness and purity, because for those who do shall see God and be satisfied. Do you see that? It says, if you pursue righteousness and purity, you shall be satisfied and see God. There's a reason why Christians must seek after the things of God and stay away from the things of the world. I'm not saying to live as a hermit, to have your little bomb shelter and stay away from the world. No, but you have to be careful. So practically speaking, speaking maybe that means what? Maybe that means you guys need to stop watching certain things on Netflix. Yeah. Maybe that means we have to pick a different show. Maybe that means no longer reading or exposing yourself to things that, whether you know it or not, are desensitizing you to God's holiness and truth. You know what? I got, I got about over 100 youth students that I minister to every week. And for them, media is like the end-all, be-all for them. They're never not on Facebook, Instagram, or Tumblr, or all that other stuff. They're always just engaged. And not only that, their friends are engaged to it too. So when they go to school, guess what? Their friends are talking about it. And especially with the increasing thing like same-sex marriage and, and really the whole, you know, um, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, the transgender thing, and all that stuff's going on. And people are saying, yeah, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? No big deal. No big deal. What's happening right now? My students here who once said, I will live by the word and only by the word of God, for it is my authority in life. It is truth. I'm now saying, well, maybe, maybe this is okay. Maybe that is okay. Maybe if I feel this way, I can go ahead and live that type of life. Maybe, you know, who am I to judge? Who am I to say that this is wrong or right? Why is that happening? Because we are allowing the world to infiltrate reclaimed spirit and soul that Christ died for. What is happening to us? Guard your heart against the rampant wickedness and sin that is all around us right now. But I want to encourage you guys. It is through Christ we are saved, amen? But salvation through Jesus is more than just being saved. God has not only saved us, but he has called us to a life of discipline and self-control. He is not, we're not deists, where God says, boom, I made you, I'm going to step away, now you live your own life. No, God says, I'm going to save you, I'm going to make sure that you live that life that's pleasing to me. I'm going to be there for you, I'm going to live every step of the way, I'm going to do that with you. In Christ, we are to guard our hearts against things that are ravaging us and competing for our affection and loyalty. In Christ, we are freed from all past sins, all present sins. And all future sins, but in Christ we are now called to live differently than the world. Differently than the world. We are no longer children of the world, but we are children of God. That's why I like to paraphrase Ian Thomas's quote. 
To be in Christ means that we are saved. But Christ in me means that we must now live in obedience. Does that make sense? Brothers and sisters, I end with this. This road is not an easy path to be on. It is not. But we have Christ who has won it for us by giving up his life for you and me. He's already went down that path. He's already walked it. He knows what's at the end. He rose from the grave proving that he is more than just a mortal, moral man, but proving his deity and his sonship and fulfilling the promise of God that all who trust in his atoning sacrifice will be saved. Jesus and only Jesus will free you from all sin, will free you from all eternal condemnation. There is nothing against you in Christ. Jesus and only Jesus can lead you also through your life as you and I battle and wrestle against the battles that we face in this world. If you're facing sin right now in your life, and I'm sure you are, just as I am, Christ says, do not give up. But he says instead, in me, because I have already won it for you, he says, wrestle with it. Toil with that sin. Fight and resist that sin. You may fall left and right, sure. You may stumble here and there. He says, but do not give up. Fight it. Resist it. Do not accept it. For that is the true mark of someone who follows in faith. For that is someone who says, yes, Jesus, I know what you have done and I will follow you. It's not someone who lives perfectly. It's someone who has trusted in the perfection of Christ. It's someone who trusts in the already completed work of Christ. And for us, as we live in this world that's collapsing all around us, that we can say, yes, Lord, even though there are sins in my life, I want you and I'm wrestling with these pains, and I'm wrestling with these sins in my life, but God, I still want you. I still want you. Lead me to holiness. And so by his power and grace, we must confidently guard our hearts against anger, guard our hearts against wickedness so that we might listen to God. And I know, brothers and sisters, that we can, by his grace again, obey him faithfully for all the days of our lives. Do you believe that? I believe it. And more than what my word says is what the word of God says, and it is his promise. We can, and in the name of Jesus, we will live lives obedient to him and faithful. Let's pray. Father, this is a moment Lord, where we must all confess and make a choice. Every moment of every single day, Lord, you have laid out this proposition. It's me or the world. It's light or darkness. It's truth or falsehoods. And the reason why I believe that we are so confused and have a such a difficult time choosing is because we're blinded by what that truth is. We're blinded by whether that falsehood is really a falsehood. And the tricky thing about the way Satan attacks the people is that he doesn't just outright say this is wrong. He throws at us these half-truths. He'll use your words, but he'll say, but did God really say it that way? Did God really mean it for that way? 
So, Lord, what are we supposed to do right now? We're confused. We're powerless. We're directionless. God, what are we supposed to do right now? Praise be to your word that you have given us the answer. And you says, and you said it is in your word. Father, I pray for every single person here, whatever stage that they may be in, whatever struggles that they're facing, in the name of Jesus, that you would bring us back to your word. Your word that does not change. Your word that is constant. Your word that is forever and eternal. All things will fail. All things will pass, but not your word. Your word will stand forever. When we are confused and when we are in doubts and when we are struggling with the sins and the wickedness that is all around us, God, bring us back to your word. Bring us back. For there is no other authority but your word. Holy Spirit, empower us and motivate us to come back to you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would protect us and that you would take away all these distractions. That you would give us the wisdom and discernment to flee and resist temptation and evil things. God, that you would give us the understanding to know where our limits are. Lord, we want to live for you and for your glory. And in order for us to do that, Lord, we need to live and abide by your word. And so, Jesus, we thank you that all these aspirations that we have right now, all these things that we are wanting to do, Lord, can and will be done all because of you, Jesus. You made it possible. You bridged that gap. You made us a sinner into a saint. You made us an enemy into a friend of God. You are the one who not only will change us in our behaviors, but Lord, most importantly, you have changed that thing in us that needs to be changed. You changed our dead spirit into something that's alive now. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. Jesus, we thank you for your death and your resurrection. So we do all this. We want to live for your glory. We want to live, Lord, to make sure that you are supreme. Brothers and sisters, I want to give you guys just a moment here as we go into our last song to go before God. And, and certainly there are challenges in your life right now. Whatever they may be, give it up to God. Maybe it is anger. Maybe it's just an infatuation with the things of this world. And as the Bible so clearly calls it wickedness. If it, if it is not of God, it is evil. It really is. If it is not of God, then it is the things of the world. And the things of the world will not save you, will not help you, will not redeem you. Maybe we need to give something up right now to God right now. So I pray, I pray that you would all pray as well. Take this moment, evaluate your heart, but walk out in faith and trust in his healing words. Let's pray.